And so it means they have to perform. So if the property is only generating, let's say 8% cash flow, and there's an 8% preferred rate of return, well, the investors are gonna get all of that money, uh, which means that those general partners have to earn, uh, they have to get the property to earn above and beyond 8%, because otherwise they're not getting paid. And uh, I particularly like this because if a property is not performing or if it's underperforming, okay, and let's say they send you an offering memorandum that says, we expect you to get 10% per year, you know, over the next five years on average, but the first few years might be like, let's say 8% and then a little bit more later. Well, if it ends up only earning five or 6% those first few years, well, I wanna get that full five or 6% because I'm getting less than I was expecting I was going to receive. Before we get into the show, let's talk about this week's sponsor, Deputy. In healthcare, there are smart pieces of technology that businesses can't live without. Deputy has become one of those essential platforms for more than 250,000 workplaces. It's helping medical practices schedule their staff more efficiently to meet peaks in patient demand. And it makes it easy to adjust schedules when the unexpected happens, like staff calling out sick. You can use Deputy on any device on the go. Within a few minutes of picking it up, you'll see why it, it has hundreds of glowing reviews from managers and staff alike. To find out more and try Deputy for free by going to drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash deputy. Hello and hola friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage, and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome. Bienvenidos. Hello, friends, and welcome back to part two of our Real Estate in August 2021 episode with Dr. Victor Mangona. Thank you for joining us once again, Dr. Mangona. Thank you for inviting me into your parents' basement. <laughs> yes, we are recording once again from my parents' basement in Overland Park, Kansas. And today we're going to be talking about multifamily investing. If you can recall, last week we spoke about Victor's first rental property ever, which was a condo, so a, a single family investment. And today I'm just very interested to know when and why he kind of shifted away from single family investing to multifamily investing. But before I ask him this, let me just give him a brief introduction. From For those of you who don't remember or don't know him, he is a pediatric and proton radiation oncologist in Dallas, Texas. And he is a financial expert, passionate about financial education, and speaks a lot about how physicians and other high-income earning professionals can invest their money wisely to build wealth and build a legacy for them and their family. So with no further ado, Victor... When and why did you shift from investing in single family to multifamily investing? And or is that is is that what you're doing now? Well, yes, that's part of how we've shifted <laughs> our gears. Um, so just for um, 
just for definition purposes, a single family property is like a single family house, like where somebody owns a house that they live in or a condominium that you own by yourself. Uh, multifamily is basically just a, a term we have for when you're buying a property with multiple units, um, particularly like apartment, apartment buildings. Okay. So, um, you know, when we became attendings and started earning more money, uh, we did start buying single family properties and initially had considered buying single family properties, homestead hacking, um, or house hacking, house hacking, um, buying a property a year, living in it, getting it at a low down payment, uh, moving out, renting it out, then moving on to the next property and doing this, <laughs> um, for example, for 10 years and accumulating a 10, 10 property portfolio over those 10 years. And that was um, your goal. That was, that became our goal. That became our right. goal initially. Uh, and we did that with one property and then another property. Um, and then around that time, I'd also made partner. And also around that time we started um, testing out Airbnb. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, the original model was to buy long-term rental properties, buy them, rent them out as long-terms. Then we started trying out short-term rental rentals because Airbnb had just come into Dallas around that time. And we tested those waters. Um, but then <laughs> yeah. when I, when I, when I became partner, we also started having a lot more cash flow coming in, um, in less time in far less time. I used to have my gosh, my first year working, I had so much time. It was fantastic. You were always off. You were always off eating lunches with other doctors. Oh yeah. I that mean, was great. It was... We were just networking. We weren't even open for a while when I started working there. So, <laughs> um, it was the best, but, um, but yeah, now that I'm partner, we make a lot more cash flow. Um, but the time is very scarce. And so, what we realized was one finding good deals as single family properties is, is really hard to do um, especially houses that we wanted to live in at this point um kate didn't really probably want to live in two hundred thousand dollar properties we did uh, look at a few i think yeah there was always something wrong with them um, <laughs> they were usually although, dark although they were always dark but the <laughs> year before that you were living in a 500 dollars a month apartment that you liked. oh but the lighting oh. was just amazing i mean the, when the sun came in and hit the windows it lit up the whole place because it was only 500 square feet and somehow you like you like that apartment um but somehow we became attendings and that wasn't going to work anymore so i could also see the hospital from my window so that was pretty convenient well that was convenient yeah you, you could we could probably buy an apartment very close to your <laughs> yeah. we could see your work from a window too i don't think that would fly either um so anyhow uh finding good deals on rental properties, especially with the market just in general going up and up and up and up. Uh, the problem with single family properties is that when you're buying them at, as an investor, you know, you're buying them based on the numbers and what makes sense as an investor. But when you're competing with other buyers, you're competing with people who are buying them as homesteads. Yeah. They're willing right? to pay more for them. They're willing to pay for whatever they want because that's what they want. Their dream home. And it doesn't really matter to them how much it would generate in rent because they're not renting it. They're just buying their own place. And so there's this mismatch between what you're paying for as an investor versus what a homesteader is willing to pay for it. And so it makes it really challenging to get a any cash flow, let alone be a good amount of cash flow that it makes it worth your money and your time and your effort to find these properties. Now, there are always deals out there, right? Um, 
you know, people, you know, work the foreclosure list, the pre-foreclosure list. Um, Some of these people, this is what they do. Right. right? They, they're full-time finding deals. And there's certainly a lot of value in finding deals. Um, but uh, at this point, like ultimately you're, you're utilizing experience, knowledge, time, energy, hustle to find deals. Yeah. Right. Um, and when we didn't have kids and when you weren't working as much, yeah, we, we had so much fun knocking at doors, talking to people, asking me if we could buy their homes, going around yeah. with our real estate friends, our realtor friends, looking at homes. I mean, it was just like what we did for fun. But then that yeah, that, there was no more time for that. Um, <laughs> and then you could always buy from wholesalers, but uh, it's hard to find even good deals from wholesalers because they, those prices are getting so high also. Um, and they're not buying houses that we would want to live in. Um, or they're not wholesaling those in general. There have been a few, but usually not. And so, but it really came down to, um, we had so much more cash flow coming in that I wanted to be able to invest it more frequently, not just like once a year into a real estate asset. And so um, as we uh, networked more, we started networking with people who invested more passively as opposed to more actively doing flips or wholesaling and things like that, but more passively investing in real estate and found people who basically do multifamily investing as passive investors right. or putting deals together as deal sponsors uh, or general partners in deals. And so we started investing in uh, multifamily apartments and our first investment there was around October of what? 2017. 2017. Yeah. yeah 2017. And actually. Um, 25K in or something? No, our first deal was like $100,000. Um, oh yeah but that deal actually is closing um yes that's right it's closing in yeah. a matter of a couple of weeks yeah, i think we got by the that end of, email a few months ago yeah i think uh, by the end of this month that deal closes and we're gonna do well on 2017. it 2017 so that was only it only took about four four years almost four years yeah yeah, yeah. When, almost four years to, usually to you around. know you account for about five years of your money to be tied up and yeah if they hit their numbers they'll sell sooner sometimes they sell later um but this one is selling in under four years and will do pretty well. Made it um, through COVID? Yeah. Still so, performing. Um, yeah, the cash flow on it was not as expected, but um, the total amount we're going to get at the sale will be very good. Now, it's a private deal, so I can't share more information about it, but um, that deal is coming to a close. Um, so that's the first one. And we have another one. I think uh, we have another one that is on the market or multiple others that are on the market now, which, which ah, were properties that were we bought around that time, mm -hmm. uh, late 2017. Um, and so what was nice is, you know, we were able to invest into multiple different deals, actually, all within a couple of months. Usually, yeah, we were so worried about not being able to get in any deals. Yeah, because when you're buying single, <laughs> buying, buying single family properties, the deals are so scarce. But um, in multifamily, depending what parameters you're looking for, there are people doing deals all the time. Um, you just have to meet you, the people. You just have to network and find those people. And so we actually invested in like three deals. And find the people that you like. Exactly. Yeah. So we invested in like three deals that first year in 2017. And then 2018, 19, 20, wow, 2021. So we've been doing this for four years now. And we've invested in 14 deals. Okay, so that's 14 deals and how many doors? It's 3,000 plus, maybe 4,000 plus. It's a lot. I mean, a door is, you know, each unit of an apartment building. So if you have a 500 unit building, it's 500 doors. Ah, okay. Okay. So maybe three or 4,000 doors. Oh, that's a lot. 
Yeah. And so what are things you look for when you're evaluating a deal, like in an offering? So as a passive investor, you know, the most important thing is the people you're working with, right? So the people, there's the, the location of the property, and then there's the property itself, right? So if you buy in the right location, if you can just hold on to an asset and not necessarily even make it perform, if you're buying in the right location where you have growing economy, people moving in there, uh, that's going to drive cap rates lower, um, the valuations of the property over time are likely to go up. Um, so that's a good way to protect your downside. Uh, you want to have the right property that's going to give you those opportunities to cash flow but, and make money. But ultimately, you need to have the jockey. You have to have the people who are going to manage the asset, follow a business plan, adjust the business plan as necessary and pivot based on things like COVID. Um, but ultimately, find people who are experienced and have goals that are in line with your goals because they're the ones who are in charge. As a, as a limited partner or a passive investor, you ultimately don't get to make decisions. So you wanna be working with people who are going to make decisions that you would make so uh, that you don't have to be in there doing all the work and making all the decisions and dealing with all the hassles and you have people to kind of take over that role for you. Um, because in any project, in any business, there's always things that are going to go according to plan or not according to plan. And you need to have the right people that are going to help uh, make it work out uh, for you in the long run. And if your goals are aligned, uh, over time, you're more likely to have an outcome that you're pleased with, especially if things aren't going as well as initially projected. Okay, so um, when I look at deals, I, uh, one of the things I look at first after I've evaluated the, you know, the, the property itself, the location and the people, it's on uh, the structure of the deal. So uh, my favorite types of deals for investors, especially for people who are newer to real estate, uh, are deals where you have uh, a preferred equity position, where you have a preferred rate of return. And ultimately what that means is that when there's extra cash after paying the expenses, the money that's still there, that's going to be distributed, the investors have to get paid a certain return on their dollars first before anybody else, such as the deal sponsors, such as the general partners, before they can get paid. So for example, if there's an offering where there's an 8% preferred rate of return, if I'm investing $100,000 as a passive investor, I have to get $8,000 per year as a return to me before those general partners could take a distribution for that year. Or if we're gonna divide that across, um, let's say they do distributions every three months. Instead of $8,000 a year, it would be $2,000 every three months as cash flow to me before the, in, the general partners can get paid. And so it means they have to perform. So if the property is only generating, let's say 8% cash flow, and there's an 8% preferred rate of return, well, the investors are gonna get all of that money. Uh, which means that those general partners have to earn, uh, they have to get the property to earn above and beyond 8% because otherwise they're not getting paid. And uh, I particularly like this because if a property is not performing or if it's underperforming, okay, and let's say they send you an offering memorandum that says, we expect you to get 10% per year, you know, over the next five years on average, but the first few years might be like, let's say 8%, and then a little bit more later. Well, 
if it ends up only earning five or 6% those first few years, well, I want to get that full five or 6% because I'm getting less than I was expecting I was going to receive. Whereas if you don't have a deal with a preferred rate of return, there's usually just a direct split of the equity where we basically just divide up the profits. And so what happens is in a typical deal, it might be like 20% or 30% of the profits would go to the general partner and the remaining 70 or 80% go to the passive investors. Well, if the property's underperforming and there's only, let's say, 6% and they expected 8 well, I want that full 6 I don't want the general partners taking off 20 to 30% of that 6%. Um, I know it gets a little bit confusing this look, think, hearing these numbers, but um, ultimately, I want to make sure I'm getting my preferred rate of return um, because that money is going to be relatively stable and relatively safe. It's, you know, it's not like you're buying uh, a government treasury bond, but those pay in terms of dividends, like less than a percent, right? So there's still obviously some risk, but you have a lot of protection from that risk because your money's secured by that physical property, okay? And so uh, for a lot of people who are new to the game um, of real estate investing, when you're investing in a deal with a preferred rate of return, you get a lot more comfort that you're going to be getting some distributions and that you're gonna get somewhere close to that number even if you don't, um, because you're going to be soaking in all of that profit up until you at least hit that number. And then after the preferred rate of return is met, the additional profits then get divided between the general partners and the limited partners or the sponsors and the, uh, and the passive investors. I'm kind of using some of those terms interchangeably, even though technically and legally they're not, but just for simplicity's sake. Um, but that's one of the first things. And I see a lot of people who are new and they're investing in deals that don't have that preferred rate of return. And then they uh, see the numbers they're getting in their cash flow distributions that aren't what they were expecting. And I say, well, you know what? Next time, why don't you just invest in a preferred rate of return, preferred equity type of structure? And then you're more likely to, to get numbers that are closer. Now, there is a, a downside to this, right? Um, preferred equity deals definitely protect your downside in terms of lower performance. However, they also decrease your upside. Okay. Um, and so you certainly couldn't potentially have higher returns in a deal that does not have a preferred rate of return. Okay. Depending how it's structured. However, there's a trade-off, right? You have more upside. You also have more downside with preferred equity. You tend to have less downside, but also again, less upside, but that less upside is still usually very very strong. You know, a lot of deals where offerings are at, at least good good ones, you're still expected to earn double-digit average returns per year, which uh, are going to be a lot higher um, in general than a lot of people are going to get on um, a bond investment where you're getting steady cash flows. Okay. Um, and even in the stock market in general, double-digit returns year over year, even though we've had them for the past decade, uh, have not historically stayed uh, in the range of 12, 13, 14, 15, 16%, which we often see, see in real estate, even as a, as a passive investor. Um, a lot of the current deals are probably projecting, you know, around maybe 14 to 16% average over a course of a five-year hold. Uh, his, maybe, maybe when we first started investing, numbers were higher. They were maybe 16 to 18 
but certainly that's gone down a little bit. Um, but they're still very strong, you know. So um, it's a it's a great way to uh, get good cash flow, but also have appreciation of your of your investment. Where when you get your money back at the end, you have your money plus the gains. So that's just in terms of the structure. Other things like I mentioned, buying in the right locations, and then just you know being with the with the right team, and that's where networking comes in, and that's where meeting other people in this space is incredibly valuable because uh, you know we we've, we've invested with different people and we've had different experiences with different people and as an investor i know now more of the things that i'm looking for when i'm investing with people i want people who are experienced and have a uh, some experience where you know that when you're investing you're investing with uh, a group of people who are going to get the job done how many deals did that take you to learn do you think um i don't know um within a couple years but you know you have to kind of go through upsides and downsides to kind of know what kind of sponsors you like working with or not. And different people would have different preferences. Some people want to get, you know, a lot of information from their sponsors all the time. And uh, other people, they don't care as much. Some of our, like some of our general partners we've worked with, they send us like all of the financials, all these details every single month. It's a ton. Um, others, we get summary sheets, um, but uh, it, you know, it's variable. And it's also interesting when you see how people operate when things aren't going well. That's really where you learn how sponsors are. You know, when things are going well, things are going well, everybody's going to be happy. But it's how uh, things go when they're not going well that you see how something's actually going, going to be run. Um, and you see what people's real motivations are and what kind of decisions they make when they're in certain positions. And But that really just takes, takes experience. And... Um, you know, getting to know people and knowing uh, the sponsors out there. Got it. Okay. And I mean, what would you say to those people who may say, well, I like to be in control. And when I invest passively, I'm not in control. That's why I want to stick with single family or active real estate investing where I get to make all the decisions. Well, then absolutely. If, if you want to make all the decisions, you also get to take on all the stress, all the work, all the other things that you're trying to get away from by being a passive investor. You can't really have it both ways. So um, if you want to run the business, then run the business. If you want to just enjoy the money, then don't run the business. You know, so you have to really kind of choose. Do you want to own and operate or do you just want the, the benefits of it? Because you already have, if you're a physician, for example, already have a job where you have some control, maybe a lot of control, maybe not, but where you make an, a very high wage for the amount of time you're trading. Right, and so um, you have expertise there, and you're able to leverage that expertise into a high value per hour. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're owning and operating a, a rental property, and you're not experienced, and you're making mistakes, and I see so many doctors owning rental properties that aren't even cash flowing, or they're cash flowing like a hundred dollars or something per month. I just look at all the time they're spending and the mistakes they're making, somebody else could do a much better job, generate more money, even after you pay them to do the job, you could be taking a home more money and putting in less effort. But that's ultimately what you're doing when you're investing as a passive investor. You're letting somebody else do all the work so that you can just enjoy the returns. Because if you are investing passively on a project that's gonna give you 8% cash flow during a hold, most people aren't buying single family properties and getting 8% cash on cash return 
during that hold. Now, there's certainly some advantages to you know owning and operating. You get to make the big decisions, especially when to buy or when to sell. Okay, you also get to do 1031 exchanges directly into other properties. That's uh, those are probably the two biggest advantages. I mean, you have control over those big decisions, but again, with that control come a lot of other responsibilities that a lot of passive investors really don't want to have to deal with because you can use that time, stress, and effort somewhere else and make a whole bunch of money and then turn that into passive income through uh, syndicated deals. Okay, and that brings up another topic uh, with that passive income, the tax benefits. What if people, you know, people are just getting into real estate for the tax benefits and they say, well, the tax benefits aren't aren't as great when I when invest passively versus when I invest actively. Why would I wanna do that? Well, it really depends uh, how you're investing actively um, because even if you own and operate your own single family rentals, you don't get to, take any losses off your income unless you have real estate professional status. I mean, that's a pretty hard um, hurdle to, to get over if you're working. You need to put in 750 hours per year in real estate and do more real estate than anything else in order to qualify for real estate professional status. So if you don't qualify for real estate professional status, even if you're, owner, uh, if you're owning and operating yourself, you're not really going to get any additional tax benefits that you don't that you would get um, that you wouldn't get as a syndication passive investor. I mean, with syndications, you're still going to have direct ownership of the asset. It's just you're owning it directly with a group. You're still going to get a K one, which is going to give you your share of the depreciation, which will offset all of your passive cash flow the same way it would if you owned it yourself. You're just owning it with other people. Now. If you do have real estate professional status, then this is a very different situation because owning and operating single family rentals, absolutely, you can use those losses to offset your income. However, if you already have real estate professional status and you invest in syndications, those losses, if you group all of your investments together, you can actually still claim those losses from passive investments and take those losses and offset your W-2 income, your ordinary income. For a lot of people, and there's a nice hybrid model where you may own and operate enough rental properties to meet your real estate professional status hours, and then you invest in passive deals just to get more losses that will offset your income every year. Okay, so you don't necessarily have to, uh, you can have the benefits of real estate either way, but real estate professional status is really the, the main thing that, uh, what, that matters, not necessarily how you're, if you're owning, operating, or passively investing. If you have real estate professional status, you have to own and operate some things or do enough hours in real estate to get those hours. Right, and you basically have to be pretty part-time in order to get that 750 hours and qualify for reps. Well, I mean, if you send for the hours in real estate, it has to be, those hours in real estate have to be more than you're working any other job. So right. unless you can do another job um, and work less than 750 hours, I mean, that's going to be part-time, right? Because that's 15 hours a week or 50 weeks of the year. So uh, if you work full-time, there's no way you're going to get rep status. Then that's basically been 
is that's never been approved by the IRS tax courts. Basically, that gets shut down every time, no matter how many hours you show them. Like if you are working 40 hours a week as a physician, which no physician really works 40 hours a week unless they're part time, you then have to say that you're working more than 40 hours a week in real estate. It's just even if you have the hours to show them, it's still not going to pass. It's never not been a single case that's ever gotten through um, from what I've uh, from what I've read and heard. Okay. And then what what about those of us who have financial advisors? Uh, a lot of physicians have financial advisors because they don't have or they think they don't have enough time to manage their own money or don't uh, have the know-how. And and you know, a lot of these financial advisors aren't recommending that we all go invest in real estate. Why is that? Well, yeah, uh, financial advisors are probably very useful for most physicians because the vast majority of physicians don't manage their money well. Um but it also depends what that financial advisor is doing for you because there's a very wide range of what things financial advisors actually do. Some will only help you with retirement accounts that they manage or other investment accounts. Some people will help you with budgeting and cash flow, you know, and helping you actually manage your money. When it comes to private investments, most financial advisors are not going to advise on private assets because it's not something that is within their their domain of what they can really advise on because private assets are private assets. It's um, it's kind of the wild west out there. Um, publicly traded securities have oversight, right? And those uh, funds that are public or even publicly traded stocks, at least they're publicly available. They are things that uh, are out there that the financials are public that they can advise you on. Private deals are private deals. There's not really, they can't really advise you on it. I mean, if you're a physician and somebody says, hey, I I heard somebody tell me, I'm not going to say ivermectin, okay? But <laughs> let's, let's take the, hey, say these, these home remedy things. Okay, someone says, should I do this for that? And often, I mean, I simply tell them there's, there's no data for it, right? Or there's, there's no evidence that I know of or can find that would support that it's beneficial. Now, so I'm going to tell you that to me, I have no recommendation. I'm not going to recommend that you do or not take something that's probably harmless. Again, it's not something that we have evidence for. You know, I can only really um, recommend to patients based on the best evidence that's available. And as a financial advisor, they're only really you know, able to advise about the things that they're able to advise on and private securities, uh, unless they have some sort of a hand in it. And um, they're often not going to um, provide any recommendations because it's not their assets to invest and in, uh, advise upon. Okay. So just to get this perfectly clear, you're not going to recommend we all go take uh, horse dewormer paste. Horse dewormer paste. If you have a horse... <laughs> with worms and not like <laughs> earthworms, but parasite worms. Um, ivermectin could be very helpful, could be, but it might also depend on the worm, right? I don't know, it doesn't necessarily, maybe not effective for all worms. Um, I don't know if those worms are vaccinated or not. Okay, got it. So, okay, so at the end of the day, you are recommending that even if we're a passive investor, you know, we still kind of have to evaluate the deal. We have to look at, who we're investing with, the structure of the deal, the location of the deal. And you know, this just kind of sounds like a lot of work. Like, why don't I just go online, pick some REIT or something like that, and just put my money there? Well, you certainly can invest in REITs. But again, 
even REITs, there's so many different REITs. So how would you choose which REIT to go with, right? There's a wide variety of them. So th that's why I'm saying everybody should have um, some understanding of how they're investing. Even if you have an advisor, frankly, you should still know what's going on um, because it's still your money. It's not anybody else's money. Nobody else will ever care about your money more than more than you will. Okay. And so they have, you know, they always have other people's money they're looking after and their own. Um, so the same way that you have to take care of your investments, otherwise you, this is, it's the same thing here. But a lot of this really does come down to relationships and to education. I mean, people talk about picking stocks to buy. Well, just because they're publicly traded, it doesn't mean that they're just safe. I mean, a lot of people just buy things because maybe somebody told them to, and that's not a, a reason to buy an individual stock. Okay, it, it's not. Um, and so there's wide ranges of, you know, how people want to be, you know, active in terms of choosing their investments um, and their strategies. But at the end of the day, people uh, should have some understanding of where their money is going what their goals are, how they're going to accomplish them, and to take the initiative to learn a little bit consistently, continuing, you know, what's that term that uh, that Jim Dahl uses, continuing financial education. Um, we always have to keep, keep learning and keep learning. Um, and the more you do, the more you'll learn. You know, you're going to, you're going to learn from your losses, no matter how it is. And sometimes that's just the cost of tuition and the more you invest over time, the more you'll you will learn about investing. Okay, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Victor, for coming on my show once again to talk about passive investing. And I'm just going to wrap it up with a few take-home points. And I think number one thing to look for in a real estate investment is the people. It's the people it's really the people who you invest with that matters. And I mean, I guess that's just not really something that would just pop in the top of my head. But now after networking with you, you know, alongside you for the last four or five years, it's it's really, it's really all about the people we have networked with, become friends with, trust, our goals are aligned. And I know you would agree with me. Yeah. I mean, when you're, you have seven figures of money anywhere, you, especially somewhere private, you, you, you should know the people who are who have that money, yeah. at least uh, have some access to them. And take home point number two, no one will care more about your money than you. No one will care about your money more than you do. And, you know, I know there are some people out there who might be thinking of money as something they have enough of, they have too much of, they don't want, maybe it's something something that just greedy people want. We shouldn't want it as physicians and that's okay. So I'm going to go ahead and say that money is just a tool. So what is it you really want? Do you want experiences? Do you want more time with family? Do you want some sort of geographical freedom, freedom of your time, of certain relationships you don't want anymore? Then think of money as just a tool to get those things that matter to you in your life. No one will care about those things that you getting those things in your life that you really want time with your family and experiences more than you. And that leaves us with take home point number three. I think you're on four now. Oh, am I on four? <laughs> no, that was number two. That, oh, was, that was two. Oh man, I can't. Get, that was a long number two. Take home point number three. You can never learn too much about your own financial management for yourself. And um, I mean, that's why I spend a lot of time teaching because I think it's really important that people learn, um, not so that they can 
you know, be, become experts at anything, but so that they can learn and have some understanding. Because frankly, when you're making the kind of money that physicians earn, especially highly paid physicians, it's honestly the best use of your time up to a certain point. I mean, there's not like, if you're putting in two hours a week learning about your money, that is super valuable, right? Because the amount of money that you can lose or um, not earn because you haven't learned things um, is enormous when you have a, a very high income. It's a, it's a new, it's your part-time job. Oh my gosh, that's, I love that one. I love that one. And, and I think I would add, you know, you can never stop learning more about your spouse as well. Oh, you can't ever stop learning. There's never, there's no limit to how much you can learn about your spouse. And the more you learn, the more you learn that you don't know that there's more stuff to, to learn. There's no, it's, it's nearly never ending and it changes. It's not static. <laughs> Which is why we should always remain curious and ask each other questions. Like we really have no idea who this person is we're living with. Yeah. Who is the person we're living with? Is there a third person? <laughs> You know, what's funny is sometimes I hear a noise and I freak out because I think that somebody's like closing a door, but it's really just the air conditioning because the way the air conditioning is like sometimes a door gets pulled closed or pulled open. And I'm like, who is this person we're living with? But it's just the air conditioning. Well, thank you, Victor. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me into your show again. Oh, and we can't forget to mention the fact that uh, we actually wrote a course together, right? We wrote a course. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're launching a course again. <laughs> we're launching a course again. It's called the Multifamily Masterclass course. And Victor, alongside Vina Jetty and Kathy Carroll and lawyer Nick and myself, we wrote this course, recorded videos at the end of last year. We have done one launch and we're doing another launch. It begins in September, September 13th, I believe. So I will include the link in the show notes if you are interested in learning how to passively invest it's like passively investing made easy. It's like all the things you need to look for if you're a passive investor. And the great thing, the unique thing about this course is it's written by active investors. So people who actually really know these deals inside and out, the people who look for, like, you know, have the backs of their passive investors who structure the deals the way we think they should be structured. And it's amazing. Sign up. Too. Yeah, they have portfolios worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So the real deal. Thanks so much, Victor. And thanks for listening. I hope everybody here walks away asking themselves, what are your real motivations in life, in your physician job, in your, what, what are your real motivations? What's motivating you in life? And what's the reason you want to take home the money, earn that money and spend your money in certain ways? What are the advantages for you individually, your family investing in passive versus real active real estate? Because everyone has their own situation. And do I qualify for reps? Or do I want to qualify for reps? Or would I prefer to act passively invest in real estate? And with that, I'm gonna close. I hope you guys walk away 
knowing a little bit more about passive real estate investing, please share this with a friend. I would appreciate if you share this with a friend who knows nothing or maybe a little bit about passive real estate investing would like to know more. Subscribe, give us a five-star review and so much love to you and your spouse. Oh, and follow Victor. Where can we follow you, Victor? I know I've had you on here before, but in case we've got some new listeners. At my show, the 39.6 Facebook Live Finance Show, which happens whenever it happens, live on Facebook. You can find it at 39.6 Community Facebook group. That's 39.6 with a decimal point six. And if you join his Facebook community, he has, how many videos do you have on there? Uh, I think we're approaching 200. Almost like 200 videos all about what kind of car to invest in, what kind of, how to find a diamond ring, what kind of house to buy, all different sorts of financial and real estate stuff, of course, as well. So look forward to seeing you there. Bye. Bye. What a great show with Dr. Victor Mangona. Before we end, here's a quick reminder. If you want to boost efficiency across your practice and make staff scheduling easier, try the Deputy app. You can try this award-winning technology for free by going to drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash deputy. That's drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash deputy. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.